And last week we, uh, we started our, our new series based on the book of Joshua. Pastor Cindy talked about, uh, you know, the, the preparation for the transfer of power from, uh, from Moses to Joshua, right? She, um, you know, and, and, and there was also a comment about, you know, we, we understood about who would and wouldn't ever enter the promised land, right? And that this younger generation, that those who would, that Joshua had given them the command to get ready, to get ready, because uh, in three days they were going to enter the promised land. They were crossing Jordan and enter the promised land, and so that was that was the main thing. What, one of the important things that we saw, and it's kind of interesting when I read this again this week, because we were talking about it a week or two ago in our Romans Bible study, but was this thing that when Joshua assumed his leadership role, because Moses had died, right, and so Joshua had stepped in, that the entire nation aligned with him. That, that God had appointed him leader, but that, you know, it's still important, right? I mean, there's this thing of, yes, God appointed him leader, but the people then had to align and follow and say that we, and, and they said, we will follow you. We will listen to you and we will obey anything you tell us to do just as we obeyed Moses. And, and it's interesting because what we found when we were studying Romans a couple weeks ago was that that's actually what God expects us to do, right, is to, is to obey and respect and follow our, our leaders. And so that happened. Here's an example of it. So today we're going to pick up in chapter 2. And, man, I don't know if you've read ahead if, and read chapter 2, although we're going to in a minute, but, but here's the interesting thing to me. Chapter 2, when we read through it, this sounds like it's got every element of a Hollywood thriller, okay? I mean, this, this could be like a, a spy movie, a Bourne identity, or a, you know, a James Bond kind of thing. I mean, you, you've got uh, military espionage, you've got spies, you've got a prostitute, a manhunt, and even a harrowing back window escape. I mean, this is, this is everything you need, man, for a, for, a, for a blockbuster, okay? So today, let's, uh, to get ready, let's read the scripture. So if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along, it's going to be Joshua chapter 2. Uh, I think it'll be on the screen and also, obviously, on version. So uh, I'm reading from the NIV. So it's Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read through the chapter. Here we go. So it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from uh, over to go look out the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered the house, because they've come to spy out our whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men sat out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into the house, if any of them go outside the house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if, I tell you, but if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she said, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they had left, they went into the hills, stayed there three days, and then the pursuers that searched all along the, uh, the road returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the Jordan, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Just as we read, after Joshua had instructed the people to prepare to cross the Jordan, he sent two spies to check out Jericho. Uh, Notice, in this case, if you remember years ago when they had sent spies into the land, they said, just go, go go look it over, right? And the report came back and there was fear and all this. In this case, the spies weren't sent to determine if they should enter the land. The spies were sent in order to help inform uh, Joshua and the people of Israel to only to determine what it is they might expect when they did enter the land, when they got there. Now, it's kind of interesting because we could say, well, you know, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like that's a very faithful thing to do, right? Isn't that, that isn't very full of faith. I mean, that's like God's told you to go possess the land, but yet you're going to send in spies? Why don't you just go? You know, why, why, why don't you just, you know... Saddle up and go, right? Well, you know, I'd like to really propose to you, too, that this, this, this is no demonstration of a lack of faith. Okay? Rather, it demonstrates good leadership. It's good leadership. You know, God expects us to live our faith. It's, it's an active faith. Okay? It's an active faith. God expects us to act with wisdom and common sense as we walk out our daily lives to the people in front of us. So... You know, in fact, if have you ever read in Luke 14, Luke 14, 28 to 30 gives an example of this, of what can happen when we just go off unprepared. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So, I mean, part of sending the spies wasn't to decide if, but it was to decide, are we ready? Is it, is it, are we able to do this and what should we expect? And so this, the spies went in. So part of what we want to look at today is real faith. Okay, what is real faith? Well, the dictionary, which is always a good place to start, says that it's a confident belief in the truth, value or trustworthiness of a person, an idea, or a thing. It's belief in God and the doctrines expressed in scriptures. That's how the dictionary, a couple of the definitions it gives. Hebrews 1 expands it. Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 that it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we don't see. Well, okay, now look, there's no doubt that we can all be in a different place when it comes to our faith journey. Some of us may be more mature. Some of us may still be kind of in the early stages of it. But no matter where we are, okay, if we have a desire to grow and mature in our faith, there's a few things we need to learn how to do. Okay, and we can learn some of these lessons from this passage today. And the first thing that we need to learn is that no matter where we are, we need to learn to act on the faith that we have. Act on the faith we have. Today's passage certainly adds dimension to these definitions we've read as being, faith is more than just believing something. Okay? Real faith is believing something to the extent that we're willing to act on it. We're willing to take steps based on it. You know, verse 2 tells us about the spies, right, and that they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, okay, i got to take one other little aside, because to me, this raises one of those really great kind of churchy sort of questions, you know, right? I mean, what? They went to the house of a prostitute? You know, why, why, would, why would they go to a brothel, right, when they, when they entered town? I mean, wouldn't these spies done something more dignified, like go to City Hall or the police station, Okay, now, when I say it that way, it kind of sounds obvious, doesn't it? They were spies. <laughs> they were spies. <laughs> they weren't ambassadors. <laughs> they were spies, right? So they needed to go to a place like where they could get lost, where they could like hide in plain sight. They needed to go somewhere, you know, where, where they could just get lost in all the coming and going, and where better than the house of a prostitute? Okay, there's a lot going on there. And, but even so, even with their best efforts, their, their covert action apparently didn't last very long because we also saw in those first couple of verses that very shortly after they got there, apparently the king sent men to the house and said, hand over the men. Give us the men. So I don't know. They must not have been really great spies, okay, <laughs> because, because apparently uh, they, were, they were found out pretty quickly. So then what we see is that Rahab has a choice right then, doesn't she? Rahab had a choice. We come to that first decision point. Because, you know, we got to remember, Rahab, I don't think many little girls grow up aspiring to be a prostitute. You know, I don't think, I don't think, you know, this is not some glamour, you know, I mean, Hollywood, you know, they, they do the, 
they do the expensive call girl kind of, you get this image that, you know, it's this some kind of lifestyle, right? You know, we got to remember that at the time and place that this took place, women didn't have a lot of rights to begin with, right? Women didn't have a great deal of value in the society, but I got to tell you, prostitutes had even less, okay? So we have this, we have this young woman who these spies have come to, she obviously knows what they are, okay? And the king sends men to say, turn them over. Now, you got to think, would the king and would the men he send even bat an eyelash about killing her? I mean, how quickly would they decide to put her in prison or kill her? She's a prostitute. They wouldn't wait a second. And so all of a sudden, Rahab is confronted with this moment. She's got to decide, which way am I going to go here? Because I can either turn the men over and, and, and I can go on with life, right? Or I can make a different decision and, and maybe change things in my life. Okay? So Rahab, now here's another little interesting situation. Rahab lied to the men. Right? She knows she's got the men, but she lies to the king's men. Okay, well, here's a really other good kind of churchy question for us, right? So does this story teach us that sometimes God thinks it's okay to lie? Because, because she lied to protect these spies, right, that Joshua had sent. Well, okay, let me just kind of give it to you this way, all right? Um, Let's be clear that the scriptures make a pretty big difference between what the scriptures report and what they condone or recommend. Give you an example. The scriptures report in another place that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's a fact. But we can all certainly agree that throughout scripture, it does not teach that the Bible recommends or condones adultery. Okay, so what we need to understand is there's a reporting, but then there's also actually what Scripture recommends. So we would agree that, you know, and what we've got to remember too is Rahab was a street smart woman. Okay, I mean, she's grown up, right? She's grown up in a tough situation, in a, in a tough environment, and she's had to have her wits about her all the time to protect herself and, and to make, you know, to keep her life going, okay? In fact, John Maxwell uh, called her, how do you say it, called her quick-witted and gutsy, okay? So in that moment when she's confronted by those men that the king sends, she just does what she knows best. She uses what she's been used to using, right? And she understands self-preservation. And so she just uses what she knows best. So what we can say is that sometimes, although a person has gained or developed a measure of faith, they're young in it, and so they still may be learning how to best express it, right? Because we would all agree, God's a God of miracles. I mean, had, had God, if God's giving the land to the Israelites and Joshua has sent in the spies, I mean, could we all agree that if Rahab had turned the spies over, God's will would have still been accomplished? 
God could have rescued them another way. God could have freed them. Remember, there's a really pretty good story in another place in Scripture where the guys get caught. They're in prison, and, you know, there's just conveniently an earthquake, and all the doors pop open, and the chains fall off in the earthquake. I mean, can, can we understand that, that when you get put in a spot and there's no way out, there's still a way out if there's God? Okay, so, so could we agree that probably Rahab didn't have to lie? Okay, but she did. Okay, but God's a God who looks on your heart and he understands what you're trying to do. And, and here's the thing. Rahab acted on the faith that she had. But she's still a lot more like the world than a lot like being a sanctified saint, right? Okay, so, so she just did what she knows best But isn't God wonderful that he's a God of grace who receives us right where we are and will take what we offer and will still use it? Okay? I just find that really, really cool to see that, okay? But we'll also remember that in Scripture, what Rahab is actually remembered for is for her faith and not for her lying. Okay? So, no. So, we understand that, okay? So then as we move on through the following verses, 8 through 13, we see how Rahab told the spies how she and all the people who lived in this country were melting in fear because they had heard how God had helped the Israelites at the Red Sea and later how he'd helped them totally defeat those two powerful kings, Sion and Og. Frankly, it almost sounds with her accounting that, that, those, that those accounts and those stories had had a stronger impression on these heathens than it had on some of the Israelites. I mean, look, but, but Rahab was more than just impressed with those stories. Apparently, as Rahab had heard those stories, Rahab had allowed them into her heart, and, and she had, been con- she had been become convinced that the God of the Israelites was the one true God. Verse 11 tells us, it says, she says, she says to the spies, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That's a pretty powerful testimony from a woman who's never been to church, who's never attended a Tuesday night Bible study, who's never had one of her neighbors come and share their faith. She'd come to possess her own deep faith in the truths of God. So how did she know it was true? Have you ever noticed how the truth just resonates within you? You know? How do you know when someone's lying to you and when they're telling you the truth? Don't you just know it in your knower? It resonates. The truth resonates. Well, she hadn't had any other witness other than just the Holy Spirit, just just the, the Spirit of God resonating within her. Okay. Interesting to me when you think about it, what we said a minute ago about Rahab and her past and her current situation and her political status, right? Is that, man, for her, this step of faith, sending the king's men away, saying, no, no, these guys aren't here, and the testimony she's just given the spies, I mean, we got to understand, for Rahab, man, this is not just some politically correct, convenient kind of faith. This isn't just a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. kind of faith. This is a faith that you're willing to act on and a faith that you're willing to act on to the point of betting your life on it, resting your life on it, 
because for her, it would have been a matter of life and death. This was a life and death decision. So, that's the kind of faith, by the way, that not only did Rahab possess, but that's the kind of faith we're called to possess. Faith that we not only believe, but we believe it to the point we'll act on it right up to and including our own lives. So, once we have that kind of faith we're willing to act on, what else do we need to do? Well, we also, like Rahab, we need to trust God to accept us right where we are. Right, right with the faith that we have. Look, verses 12 to 21 tell us how Rahab made an agreement with these spies in exchange for hiding them and helping them escape. There were some conditions attached to the deal that she made. Okay? The, Rahab had to help them escape, had to keep their secret. Then they told her she had to gather her family uh, and remain in the house. Right? They had to remain there. And then they gave her this scarlet cord that she had to tie and hang down out of a window. Now think about that. Okay, uh, I, could, I, I could keep the secret. Okay? I can help you escape. Hopefully nobody sees it so I don't get caught. Because right, if, I, if Rahab gets caught helping these guys escape, she's in real trouble. Right? Because she's already lied to the king's men. So helping them escape is a big risk. Okay? She can, she can decide to keep the secret. She had to trust her family. I mean, I suppose there were other people there, too, that saw all this, right? So she had to trust all of them. But she could keep the secret. She could get her family all together. But think about this. When she ties that scarlet cord and hangs it out the window, something she's never done before, this is something that hadn't happened, there's a possibility somebody can see that and go, what's that all about? You know, what's that all about? How come you got this thing hanging out your window? I mean, what? No, you know, I mean, just think about it. If you did something really odd in your neighborhood where you live, you know, I mean, I don't know what it would be, but, you know, think if all of a sudden, right, you know, you, you come up with your own idea, but all of a sudden everybody's used to seeing you and where you live look one certain way, and all of a sudden there's this odd thing you've just done that kind of looks like there's a purpose to it. You might start asking some questions. Okay? You might start wondering, what's she doing? Look, for Rahab, hanging that scarlet cord out the window was like sealing the deal. Right? This was like her testimony. Think about it. That I'm all in. There's no turning back. I've hung the cord out the window. There's no changing, there's no changing the plans here. And of course, in exchange for all that, when the Israelites attacked, everyone that would be found in her house would be allowed to live. Boy, you know, when you think about this whole thing, too, this whole scarlet cord uh, use of that, there's just a lot of symbolism there, isn't there? There's just a lot of parallels. You know, if you look up the word scarlet in the dictionary, it's listed both as a noun and an adjective. Okay, a noun, it's the name of a color. It's also, I guess, a woman's name, you know known some people with that name but it's also an adjective it's interesting the adjective use says it means immorality or wickedness well Rahab was prostitute so nothing really could have been more true or appropriate right but we also know that scarlet is red color it's a symbol symbolic color of blood pretty cool thing when you think about it first time this gets used 40 years earlier during the first Passover Right? Where, 
where the first, the young, you know, the firstborn, you know, the angel of the Lord is going to come and is going to take the life of all the firstborn, except where they find that the, the blood has been painted over the doorway of the house. Okay, and then that would be the signal to the angel of God to pass over that house and that all who are in it would be safe. And here, some 40 years later, we got this scarlet cord, this red cord being hung out the window of the house that says all who are in it when destruction comes to the city will be safe. And obviously, we've also got the, this, the color of scarlet representing the prophetic view of the blood of Jesus, right? And his shed blood and its power to not only save us, but to heal us and to protect us as well. It's really cool. So, you know, when you look at Rahab and you see what she was asked to do, what we really have is a perfect illustration of salvation coming to an undeserving person, an undeserving person, just by way of grace and faith. Faith strong enough that you'll act on it. Faith made complete by the precious blood of Jesus for us. You know, the, the encouraging thing to me about this story of Rahab is that God is always ready to honor that scarlet cord of faith. No matter who hangs it out. No matter who hangs it out. If it would work for Rahab, I mean, who, who would God not honor it from? When she, when she hung that scarlet cord out her window, it was a testimony for everybody to see. So she took the final step that we too need to take. And that's that you allow your faith in God to transform your life. Now think about it. I mean, some people might say God's kind of got this sense of humor or irony, right? Using a prostitute to protect his spies. I mean, okay. After all, not, you know, not only was her you know, house the only part of the wall that didn't collapse, right? But her family were the only ones to survive. Okay? Personally, I don't think it was humor or irony. Okay? I just think it's really simple. Because I believe Rahab's story is the story of every one of us. Because I think the truth is we are all Rahab. We are all Rahab. Look, like her, we're not part of the original family of God or nation of God. Like her, we live in a corrupt and degenerate world. Like her, the fact is we are all spiritual harlots, loving other gods, chasing after other gods, being unfaithful to the one true God. But God moved in a unique and powerful way in Rahab's life and in each of ours as well as we to reveal himself to each of us and to bring us to faith in him. And like Rahab, all each of us could do was just hang the scarlet cord of redeeming faith out the window of our hearts and receive Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. Interesting to me, Rahab chose to act on the faith she had. Right? There was, there, she couldn't have answered any of your questions at a Bible study. 
She didn't have any scripture memorized. Do you understand? I mean, this was a woman. This was not a woman who, had, who was trained and you know, like ready to go. But, but she knew this. What she did know was enough that she was willing to act on it. She was willing to go with what she had and trust God to fill in whatever blanks she didn't know. But she was willing to act on it. To trust God who sees what's in the heart to accept her faith right where she was. And, and by that fact, by that step, what Rahab did was to claim her destiny, to claim what God had for her and, and to allow God, think about what that decision did, that one moment when she chose to protect the spies and not turn them over was the moment that the trajectory of her life changed. Think about it. what was what did she have to look forward to as a prostitute in that city at that time? Probably an early death, probably a lot of abuse. Pro- think about it. All of a sudden, that by acting on that one bit of faith, that one bit of knowledge that she had, and allowing her faith to actually inform and, and cause her to act on that faith. She changed the trajectory of her entire life and, frankly, saved the lives of her entire family along with it. So, a fair question would be say, well, is it worth doing that? Is it worth taking the risk of of acting on your faith? So, how did it all work out for Rahab, right? How did it all work out? Well... Like we said, she saved her own life and the lives of her entire family by making that decision. Uh, she continued, uh, God continued to show her favor by allowing them to live in the camp with the Israelites. They weren't like treated like lepers out in some, you know, uh, far away. They got to live in the camp with the Israelites. In time, God gave Rahab a real loving relationship probably the loving relationship she had always desired since she was a little girl he gave her a husband from among the jewish people a man named salmon now little interesting aside obviously i don't know this we none of us can know it but there are a number of biblical scholars who like to speculate that salmon whom rahab married was likely one of the two spies Because who better to know the character and quality of this woman and the transformative power of God than someone who'd been with her there and now saw her over here later? Yeah, we don't know. But wouldn't that just be the kind of cool thing, even romantic kind of thing, that the God we love and serve would do? I mean, I just think that's a cool thought. What's more... Whether he was or not, what's more, after they were married, Rahab and Salmon had a son. And his name was Boaz. And you might know that story a little bit because Boaz marries Ruth eventually. And what that means is, is that Rahab, a prostitute from the condemned city of Jericho, turns out to be the great great-grandmother of King David. Now, man, and of course Matthew 1, 5 
also tells us, because we know of the lineage of King David, that means that that same little prostitute girl from Jericho is in the direct lineage of Jesus. Pretty good for a prostitute from a condemned city in the promised land, isn't it? Pretty good. Pretty good. But that's why Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be, they will be white as snow. Man, just think about it. If God can take a little heathen harlot named Rahab, a sinful woman forced to living a degrading lifestyle and can transform her into one of the Bible's great women of faith. Read it in Hebrews 11.31. She's listed in that hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Just imagine what God can do in your life and in mine. What sin, what shameful past are you or I carrying around that God can't cleanse and forgive and heal? What sickness or disease is too far along for his healing power to heal and to transform? What relationship is so damaged, so fractured, that he can't restore it? Today, we're called to be like Rahab. We're called to be like Rahab, to decide, to claim our destiny. But for us, just like for Rahab, it all starts with that scarlet cord of faith. We just need to hang it out of the window of our hearts as an invitation for Jesus to come in and transform our lives into the life that he has waiting for us only if we're willing to act on the faith we have and to allow him to do it. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, today we come before you, Father, as people, oh God, we, have, we come before you as people who need your transforming touch. We need your healing touch. Lord, today we come before you. And God, we all have areas of our lives that need you. So Lord, today, as we are still before you, with all your heads bowed, heads bowed, eyes closed, if you've got an area of your life that you need God to touch. You need him to transform it. Could be relationships, could be health, could be any area of your life, could be things of the past that just, you want to quit carrying around. Could be people you need to forgive, it could be unforgiveness, could be things you've done. But you don't want, you don't want those things to define your life. You want to be like Rahab and, and, and turn that corner and move on to claim the destiny that God's got for you. If you've got something like that, you just need God to touch, God to heal. 
Just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen, amen. Put them down. God, you've seen the hands. Lord, because here's the truth, God. We are all Rahab. God, we've all got stuff. And Lord, today, we come before you. And Lord, today, we just, God, we just come before you with nothing more than just that, that scarlet cord of faith. God, we hang it out of the windows of our heart. And Lord, we thank you that you receive us right where we are. We thank you, God, that you'll take the faith that we have. And God, today, we are asking you to come in and do what we can't do for ourselves, to heal us, to touch us, to redeem us, to save us, to transform our lives, Lord. God, we want to be more than we are. We want to be all that you've created us to be. God, we... Lord, we know that you have so much more for us than we currently know and experience. So, Lord, today, we make a choice to trust you. Lord, to start acting on our faith and allow you, Father, to change our lives and our destiny for eternity. In Jesus' mighty name.